God desires for us to be a people of victory. And many of us in our lives right now are living in a moment where it feels like we are in the belly of the whale. But God wants us to take these critical moments and turn them into something righteous where we can be champions of the holiness that God wants us to be. And as Christians, we are commanded to follow in the steps of our Lord, who himself was able to make something beautiful out of death. Thus, we must be a people of victory if we want to seek out the beauty and the truth and the order of God's creation. There are many things around us that want to pull us towards chaos and suffering, but we are called to something better. So, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos here at Jolton Church of the Nazarene, where we're going to be looking through our home study guide that is from the belly of the well on to victory. So let us praise God wherever we may be, and let's open up by reciting the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. There's one other with me here in the studio. Pastor Anthony Allegria. And today, we are going to be talking about that deliverance that we need. Again, we may not all be assembled together for Sunday worship with the social distancing that's brought on by the COVID-19 coronavirus, but nonetheless, we are able to worship in our homes and assemble in different ways. And today, we're going to be talking about how we can be champions of righteous causes that God wants us to be. So before we get straight into our message, this is the home study guide. So if you would like to look at the lectionary text, which are just those weekly readings that we do together in our worship services, the assigned readings for this week are Psalms 130 and the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. So again, that's Psalm 130 and John 11, 1 through 45. And today, we're going to be going all the way back to the book of Jonah. And one of the things that we've been doing as we get closer to Easter is we've been comparing that moment from the Garden of Gethsemane up to the cross with what goes on in the book of Jonah. Because in both cases, the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, it opens up where Jesus has a choice. And the book of Jonah opens up where the prophet has a choice. Does he do what God has called to do him to do, or does he shirk the responsibility? Does he push the cup away? Well, in the case of Jonah, he tried to push the cup away, but it only caused more suffering for himself. And despite his efforts to push the cup away, that cup was still fulfilled. God's will was still done. But with the gospel, Jesus chose to embrace the cup because he was honest and he knew the truth of creation. The cup could only be moved if he was to pick it up and drink it. So today, our message is from the belly of the whale on to victory. And we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1 all the way to Jonah chapter 3. And in this, we are called to look for victories. And yesterday, I was blessed with seeing a great victory. And it was a victory that came out of a belly of the whale situation. Yesterday, we had a wedding here at the church. And it was everything that a wedding should be. A family that was made of people of all walks of life came together to behold the sacred rites of matrimony despite a world of great uncertainty and chaos. With everything being shut down and everything trying to tell people to put all of your life on hold and to do nothing, yesterday a family came together in an absolutely beautiful moment. And in that moment, you could just look around as we were having the, the feast that was small, but nonetheless, well, I should say small in numbers. The feast itself was actually quite extraordinary. As we were assembled together in our small numbers having this elegant, wonderful feast, you could look around the room and see that there was healing. 
There was people looking beyond the barriers of life. There was people coming together, coming beyond differences. There was a union that was happening. And it wasn't just any union. It was the long-awaited union of a couple who had known one another since early childhood, a couple who had been told long, long ago that they would be married. And now, many, many decades later, here they are getting married. All sorts of things happened to try to stop this wedding. There was sickness. There was the cancellations going on in our culture. There were people being told to stay at home. And there was even a robbery that happened that tried to keep people from coming to the wedding yesterday. There was all sorts of things. If you name it, it was going on trying to stop this from happening. But despite all of this, despite everything that made this a belly of the whale moment, it was a great victory. Victory was indeed found in this moment. And this is something which is quite fascinating. So let's jump over to the book of Jonah and find out what is up with the prophet. Because in our previous message, we left Jonah in his newly found freedom from the belly of the well. But we know that something else was in store for him. Jonah had repented of his unfaithfulness and recommitted to do the work that God had commanded of him. And at this point in the book, Jonah is about to find a great victory. But in order for us to truly understand this victory, I want us to pause and go and re-examine that last verse in chapter 1 to examine Jonah's belly of the well moment and the symbolism that it contained for the sailors that were around Jonah. Because one of the things that is unmistakably true about God's character is he is always finding us victories in places where we least expect it. So let's go and examine that last verse in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah 1.17 reads as follows. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now this is how this would read if you just look at it in English, and that's fine to look at it in English, but there's a key word that's hidden, tucked away in history that's so phenomenal here. It's sort of like if you could imagine a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola and all the nostalgia that comes with them, there is a very, very particular word. And if we do a little bit of, of examining and going through history and a little bit of time traveling, and we go all the way back to the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is known as the Septuagint, we'll find that this last verse of chapter 1 is pushed over into chapter 2 as its first verse. And chapter 2 in the Septuagint version of the book of Jonah, it opens up saying, Kai prasitake kurios kete megalo. And now, I... I'm not a Greek scholar myself, and I, I trust that many of you might not be able to do much with that. I know I couldn't. But if we look at that phrase there in Greek and we start to put it into English, we'll find that this is simply the Lord commanded the great fish. Seems simple enough, but to simply translate that as great fish without knowing some things about the ancient Greek sailing culture would be to ignore a very, very specific word choice. I brought up Coca-Cola, Pepsi, RC Cola, these sort of things. Whenever you hear the phrase Coca-Cola, we know this is not just a generic soda, but instead it is a very, very specific thing. The phrase Coca-Cola has significance as a specific drink. And simply by hearing its name, we can imagine its taste. We can imagine all of its related artwork. We can see a polar bear drinking a brown soda there in its little glass bottle. We can see the shape. We can even feel that bottle in our hand. And just as the term Coca-Cola brings with it the images of a brown soda clad in red and white, for the Greek sailors that would have been traveling with Jonah there in chapter 1, the specific term for great fish brings with it the images of a giant monster that has to fight a hero chosen by the Greek gods. Now, great warriors of Greek mythology had fought this beast, and we can find warriors such as Heracles, or Hercules as he would later be known, 
And through this monster, the gods would give some sort of divine calling, a divine opportunity to fight this beast. But something interesting happens in the book of Jonah. Through this monster, God, the Lord of all creation, and as chapter 1 will instruct to these sailors, the one who made both the sea and the dry land. He is the God, the master of all. This God has given Jonah an opportunity to battle and overcome this beast as a champion. And when these Greek sailors see this monster, they don't just think of a generic soda. They think of Coca-Cola with all of its flavor, with all of its artwork and everything. When they hear that word of the Megas Ketas, or however it might be situated in a sentence, whenever they hear that, they know this is a beast that is to be fought by a champion of the gods. And the champion that's been chosen is from the god that made everything. Now this is a unique twist on something that God's been doing all along. Time and time again, people have prayed to God to bless them. And we find that God often responds by calling people to work and to go on great journeys. The people of the Old Testament are frequently called to go to work. And we find this with the Israelites being called out of Egypt to march across the desert and build a kingdom. Nehemiah, he was called to take a worker's trial in one hand and a sword in the other. The exiles were called to rebuild their temple, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to bring back the kingdom of God and restore their faith. God gives us opportunities to do great things. And we must be honest, these are not always easy. And they certainly don't come without physical and social pain. There's always going to be people who say, oh, you're not doing the right thing. Persia, Syria, they're not going to like you doing that. You can't build those walls, Nehemiah, and ask Persia to pay for it, you're going to have all sorts of people who get very, very mad about these things. And often we find that the greatest opposition comes from within, within our own lives, our own character. Sometimes it's within our own family, people that are close to us, our friend circles. We find that even Jesus, he faced the greatest opposition from within the house of Israel. But nonetheless, Jonah, in this moment, he has been given an opportunity to do something great. His victory had come. And with the aid of the Lord, he emerged out of the fish victorious, and it was in a violent eruption. This was a moment of victory, but it didn't come before his soul had got right with God. And Jonah chapter 2 shows us how the prophet was willing to repent and recommit to God's command. He got his heart right with God while in the belly of the well. And as we look at our own lives in moments where we feel like we're in the belly of the well, we must get our hearts and minds right with God. So I want us to go now to Jonah chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. So Jonah 2, 7 through 10 reads, That as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah up out onto the dry land. This was a moment of victory. And the Greek sailors, they would have known that. God took something which seems quite nasty. And being inside the belly of a beast is very nasty. It's not a very pleasant place to be. But nonetheless, Jonah found victory there. And it come after he got his heart right with God. So from this point, Jonah finally went to Nineveh. And it was worth noting that Nineveh was not part of Israel, and that gives it some similarity with what happened there on the ship. The residents of Nineveh were like the sailors Jonah had met in chapter 1, 
And we can find that both of these peoples, they are people unfamiliar with the God of Israel. It's a new idea to these people that there was a God that made all of creation. But something marvelous was happening in Nineveh as Jonah would go. So let's go now to chapter 3. And we're going to read through all of chapter 3, which is just 10 verses. It's a very short chapter. And Jonah's a very short book. So let's go to Jonah 3, 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across it. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he removed his robe, and covered himself in sackcloth, and he sat down in ashes. And then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock, shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals alike shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. People started to make vows with God as Jonah went through the streets of Nineveh prophesying. And this truly was a wondrous thing. And the message delivered by Jonah in Nineveh found great success. The task seemed so large and encumbering to him that it appears surprising that it would unfold with such great ease. God's love for Nineveh is received well by those who hear the words of the prophet, and this truly is a magnificent victory. And although chapter 3 shows us a people being receptive to God's instruction, Jonah would ultimately be upset with the fact that his own brothers and sisters back in Israel were reluctant to turn to God. Nonetheless, God was still finding victories with mankind, and even in surprising places like Nineveh. Jonah did not expect this to happen, but nonetheless it did. And sometimes God brings us victories in our lives in places where we least expect them. And thus, we should never be closed off from opportunities that God sets before us. God took Jonah from the belly of the well to a place of victory. And he desires for us to overcome the difficulties that we have in life. And I know right now, with everything in the world, it's easy to be angry when the world is throwing chaos and suffering at us. But God wants us to have our priorities in order. We must first make sure that we are right with God and living in his instruction. And then we are to step out in wisdom with the objective of finding righteous victories. Let us close this message by praying to God to open doors in our lives and give us the wisdom to navigate the treacherous waters of life. So let us spend some time praying and then we'll get into our discussion questions. Gracious Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with those who are out in our audience right now. Lord, whatever may be going in their life, when they feel like they're in the belly of the well, Lord, I just pray that you would give them strength, give them endurance, give them the wisdom to navigate these waters. And Lord, I just pray you would send your spirit to bless us all, give us peace and give us comfort. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So let's get to our discussion questions. We've got four for today. 
And again, feel free to answer these at home. If you're leading worship with your household, please, please do that. And if you're out there listening to this and you don't have a copy of the home study guide, uh, feel free to send me a message and I'll make sure I can email that to you. So let's get to discussion question number one. And I'll have Anthony answer some of these. Um, Number one, what is the greatest danger while you are in the belly of the whale? I might say um, forsaking God. All right, so really there's two sides to this question, and Anthony went to the sort of more eternal side. Um, You can look at this with the body in mind and say, well, if you're inside an animal— And let's face it, throughout time, there actually have been people cut out of large beasts like anacondas and things like that. Um, And while you're in that horrific situation, you might think about the immediate circumstances. And if you're only worried about the immediate circumstances, you may forget to get your heart right with God. And as we know, since the fall, we are all mortals. We are all going to die at some point in time. And if you spend those final moments worried about the body, you may find yourself eternally separated from God. So as Anthony has said, the true danger that might need your attention while you're in the belly of the well is getting right with God. Now, of course, if you're already right with God, then you give praise to God. But if you're not, that is a time when you should be getting right with God. Well, it's kind of like, as they say, uh, there's no atheists on the battlefield. So, Yes, And I will say this, um, as a pastor, I see very few people interesting in being agnostic and atheist in the ICU either. Um, All the conversations and and things I get, we've been out live streaming it like the Parthenon, and people are really hostile and say, oh, the church doesn't like reason and all that stuff. Um, But that tends to be cut away when you're in like the ICU at the hospital. I haven't found many people that want to behave like that there. Um, which is sad. We, we should all be ready to get right with God long before then. Um, but nonetheless, it's always a good time to get right with God. If you ever ask yourself the question, is it a good time to get right with God? The answer is always yes. Always yes. Um, well, number two, what opportunities are found in the belly of the well? Again, if you're sitting there thinking you're just being eaten and digested, you may not think about anything else. But what opportunities are actually found in the belly of the well? I think I know where you're going with this, but it's hard for me personally to accept. <laughs> so um, I'm kind of, I, I don't know that I'd be able to answer this. I personally would feel like there's almost none. I suppose you might say, you know, you can give your last uh, hoorah for God and give him glory one last time. But, you know, you're inside the belly of the well, so your opportunities are pretty limited. Well, wh- let me ask you this. Where do you think I'm going with this? I feel like you're heading in the direction where... Um, you want to open up the opportunity to praise God in the belly of the whale. Yes. <laughs> is that is that the extent of where you're thinking this is going? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have any reason to... I definitely think that's a good opportunity, but just imagining it, it's hard to even think about taking that so much as like an opportunity, you know? I might praise God, but it's like, well, you know, I guess this is it. <laughs> yeah, it's, all right, so it's it's definitely an, an opportunity to get your priorities in order. Um, you really don't have a lot of choices when you're in the belly of the whale. So um, as far as external, outside of the body things, you're, you're pretty limited. But nonetheless, within the mind, and that's the one thing that, that you willingly have to give over to, to the tempter. The tempter, he can come and tempt you, but he, he cannot force you to do anything. Um, 
And also, God has given you a great gift. You have to, to choose to accept it. What we find that in the belly of the whale, it is more of an, a, a moment where you are literally trapped within your mind. And there is an opportunity for you to get those priorities in order, but also to look at a more eternal standpoint than just the immediate. And you even find this within Jonah. If you survive a belly of the whale moment, and again, most of us are having a figurative belly of the whale moment, but it's a time to actually put together a plan for what are you going to do afterwards. You notice Jonah recommits to the righteous cause he was instructed to. And there's a great opportunity when you're in the belly of the well. You can either be crushed by it and say, this is the end. I'm just going to make my preparations for death. Or you can put together a plan that says, all right, when I get out of this, this is my pathway to the righteous calling that God has for me. And that's the big opportunity I want us to think about. When you're in those moments, and again, many of us right now, whether it be job situations, health situations, just sitting at home and being frustrated. It's easy to get angry. And this Wednesday, I'm going to get to the whole question, do you do well to be angry? <clears throat> One of the great questions in Scripture. But there's an opportunity to get right with God and have that plan. My voice is going away. Y'all forgive me. All right, number three, Jonah was satisfied with the success in Nineveh. Isn't this true, Anthony? Didn't he just love how everything went down in Nineveh? No, he's pretty frustrated by it for uh, multiple reasons. Um, so I guess obviously there's the fact that his own people won't accept uh, the message that he's trying to proclaim, which he was before in Israel. But also, um, I mean, I imagine there's got to be a little bit of like kingdomly feud going on between Nineveh and Israel. I think, uh, you know, whenever you've got some sort of neighbor or whatever else that you don't associate with a lot. Um, there's going to be this like spirit of competition between you. And so I wouldn't <clears throat> just put it down to like some sort of like simple base evil racism or something like that. I'm not trying to say that, but I am trying to say that, I mean, Nineveh is a potential enemy. <laughs> so I don't think that it would make you very happy that first of all, your own people aren't accepting this message, but then your potential enemy is the one that yep. is accepting it and is no, you're, you know, taking you're exactly on the spirit right. of the Lord. So, that would be very frustrating. Yeah. Jonah is not happy with this. And no, he does not do well to be angry. If anybody's wondering about how chapter 4 ends, God says, do you do well to be angry? Should I not care about that great city, Nineveh, with all its many people and animals? Well, the answer is yes, God does care about it, and he should care about it. And no, Jonah, you do not do well to be angry. Jonah's very upset. Those who know the Torah, those who know the things going on in the house of Israel— they are reluctant to, to turn to God. And one of the things that is frustrating to Jonah is he kind of, well, if we're honest, he is only successful despite himself. It's clearly not by his power. And Jonah, he makes the mistake of thinking that, you know, he may have more power than he really does. So it's, it's a very sad thing. Jonah is not satisfied with any of this. And it's, it's very sad. He, he, should, he should be appreciative of the, the great victory he has. I mean, if we're honest, even though he is probably one of the has one of the worst attitudes and personal temperaments as a prophet. He's also one of the most successful when you look at the Old Testament. I mean, he, he basically converts an entire city, not to mention Salem. I mean, and he does it in just a few days in a massive city. Nineveh is the largest city in the world just a few decades after Jonah is there. Um, while he's there, it's like the second or third largest city in the world. It is massive. That city's been there for 8,000 years, meaning that it's 6,000 years older than Jonah. And 
he does great work there with the message and power that God, you know, assigns and commissions with him. But he gets mad about it. Bad, it bad attitude. It is funny how reluctantly he does it and how awesome it really turns out. Yeah. I mean, you look at other prophets like those throughout the exile, uh, which really do. A lot of them have a lot of reasons to sit around and mope, but yet they have better attitudes. I mean, Daniel, he works with uh, Nebuchadnezzar for a long time. And then he works with, with Belshazzar, and he's got all these bad attitude kings to work with, and yet his his attitude is much better than that of Jonah's. And Jonah has great success with the work that God has, has given him. And it all happens completely out of spite of his own shortcomings. All right, well, number four, Jonah was clearly not doing this by his own power but that of God. And so this is the question we have for us. Does God do things in our lives despite the fact that we are working against him? So can God bless us when we're working against God and his holiness? I definitely think so, yeah. Yeah, I think so as well. And in fact, that I know so. I've seen enough situations where people have done things which are attempting to go towards Tarshish rather than Nineveh, and yet God has still done beautiful things in their life. Well, that's where we're going to end our program today. I thank you for joining us. And again, if you would like a copy of this home study guide, please send me a message and I'll get that to you. And I hope that everyone is having a blessed day. And again, don't get into to the anger. Don't buy into the, the hysteria. we got to be wise. We navigate these waters with wisdom and with perseverance and with Christ-like conviction. So with that, Anthony, would you close us in prayer today? Yep. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we thank you that you can work in us in spite of us. Lord, we thank you that in all the things in the world that you get to manage, you've chosen to be so faithful to us, your human creations. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be a better image, an image which is closer to being the image of God that we're supposed to be. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.